0: Welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and uh, we are continuing our dive into the world of comics, indie comics mostly. And um, my guest today is Jeremy Whiteley, who's got his foot kind of in both worlds: the corporate comics world and the indie self-published, well, not really self-published, but owner-created titles. He's been working on the Sea of Thieves comic adaptations for Titan. Yes, based on the uh, Microsoft game. But he also has a few titles of his own uh, School for Extraterrestrial Girls, Dog Night, which is uh, very new. And we're going to talk about those. And, you know, just because I'm curious, his horror podcast as well. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Now I have a contributor, Jazz, who is a huge, huge fan of Sea of Thieves, and that's how it came to my attention. She did a, a review of I think the first volume, uh, back a few years ago, and she literally could not stop talking about how excited that series had her, and I hadn't realized at the time that it was an adaptation of a video game, a a Steam video game that was very, very popular. People couldn't stop talking about the game. And so now I'm curious, how do you get, I guess, the attention of the powers that be in order to do a comic book adaptation of a video game?
1: Um, It's an interesting question. I, I honestly, like, to some extent there's a part of me that i'm like i don't know i don't know how i managed to like get their attention but i think it had something to do with the fact that uh at that point i was i was making two of my own creator own series uh the original being called princeless and then i made a spin-off of that that was called uh raven the pirate princess which i describe as a a big uh queer pirate soap opera um you know, with a, sort of a, a crew full of all female pirates um, sort of on this quest for revenge, uh, raven the leaders on a quest for revenge against her brothers. So I had a big sort of, you know, high seas uh, pirate comic that was, you know, pretty uh, fun and inclusive and all that. And I think, you know, Sea of Thieves, obviously that's very much their vibe is, you know, being funny and uh, also inclusive, having a various, you know, high seas adventures. So I think, you know, perhaps they, they started looking to see, you know, what they could do with uh, having comics of it. And, uh, you know, maybe they, they found my stuff and sort of struck their fancy and they, you know, sought me out to, uh, to start working on it.
0: That's awesome. Cause I, growing up I never understood the fascination with uh, living the pirate life. I understood wanting to find all the lost treasure. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody does, Mm -hmm. but living on a boat in, in, in floofy clothes, (laughs) having to deal with, uh, armadas of, 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 uh, shall we say enforcers, other pirates, uh, the, the, the navies of, uh, honked off countries whose stuff had been stolen. It's just like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, oh, loot. Okay. Um, And then just the idea of searching for loot, you know, lost treasures, stuff that had been forgotten for hundreds of years was fascinating because, you know, it's a mystery. It's a puzzle that needs to be solved. And then by some chance, I have no idea how, I saw the movie version of the Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. And I i became a Kevin Klein fan for life <laughs> seeing oh, yeah. that movie. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is awesome. And it just, you know, just sort of backburnered Pirates, but the fascination with, you know, someday, hey, you know, if I could, I like mountain expedition to go search out for a particular treasure, which never happened. But still, you know that <laughs> that that dream of, you know, finding a a lost treasure that's not only treasure but also historical. That's uh that's fascinating to me. So,
1: yeah, I think I mean what appeals to me, I think, and and a lot of folks who uh, get really into pirates is is I think you know we have a history of depicting them as bloodthirsty and vicious and, and all of that, which I'm sure is not entirely unmerited, but also there's a lot of sort of documentation over the years that you can look at as sort of pirate crews as being uh, sort of a, a gang of outsiders who, you know, sort of have each other's back, whether it be that people are, uh, you know, they're, they're taken care of whether they're you know queer or disabled or, um, you know, it's always, they're, pirate crews are very careful to, you know, somebody is injured during the course of doing their job. They, you know, will pay that money to them, even if they're, they're injured, take it to their families, even if they're deceased. Um, you know, I, I think this idea of a, a band of miscreants sort of, you know, living outside the system uh, I think appeals to a lot of people who've found themselves in sort of those, those same straits as far as, you know, having a, a, lifestyle or a you know relationship or, or anything like that that is outside of what uh, what is often deemed socially acceptable so the idea of you know living outside the law with your own your own crew of folks who are you know actually all more or less on the same level who you know are willing to to split things equally and uh, not always try and be uh, bound to this, you know, system of uh, laws and rules that, you know, are, are theoretically meant to keep order, but are often, you know, used to, to keep people down. Uh, I think that appeals to a lot of people strongly. And mm-hmm. I think especially in the, the queer community resonates well, as I think our flag means death has really proven. Uh, and that's <laughs> in the relatively short run, it's it's capturing a lot of people's imaginations.
0: I think it's coming back, isn't it?
1: Uh, it just did, actually. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, because I've, I've heard people talk about the the hilarity of that show. And, uh, well, for, for Sea of Thieves, like I said, this is an, an adaptation of a video game. How familiar were you with the game and the characters of the game and the, 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 the play of the game? And were you asked to keep along those same lines or go in a different direction?
1: That's it's an interesting question because we actually um, started working on the comics while the game was still in sort of alpha testing. So like I got a, you know, a a pass to get on there and play it. And there was basically just a handful of people out there playing the game. Um, So I was sort of getting the first, some of the first hands-on feel for it in writing the comic because they were like we wanna there are certain things that we want to make sure that we get in there, features of the game, things we're particularly proud of. We want, you know, more or less story wise, this, you know, you're gonna be able to do things in the comic that you can't necessarily do in the game. But from a like functionality standpoint, they're like we want to be able to have things in there that people can do. So, you know, when it comes to raiding other people's ships, we they they really wanted to make sure at some point that somebody got fired out of a cannon in that game. Um, Because that was like, you know, in the comic. Because in the game, it's a a big feature of, you know, you just jump in the can and somebody can shoot you over to the other ship so you can attack it. (laughs) um, That sort of stuff. So they wanted to make sure those things made an appearance in the comic, uh, which I was was happy to do. But at that point, the game was still, um, it was before sort of the current version of the game that has a lot of story related quests. Um, You know, in the early days of of Sea of Thieves, it was very sort of free roaming. There were very few characters in the stories that, you know, other than, um, you know, the antagonists, certain, you know, major skeleton bosses and things like that. So, uh, you know, and and because Sea of Thieves is so open as far as the character you create and what you go do with it, um, they didn't have any sort of mandate for me as far as like what the story had to be or who had to be in it. Um, they they basically said, you know, you need to, you'll want to create sort of your own crew to tell this story with and, uh, you know, tell a story that can happen within the Sea of Thieves and we'll just sort of go from there. Um, so I, I took one of the few characters that they did have in their, uh, you know, sort of pirate captain who's a legendary character in this story um, Who's sort of the leader of all the pirates. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, tell a story about these two characters who are his kids who start out, you know, out in the real world and um, have been sort of given this clue to go find their father on the sea of thieves um, and sort of get in a competitive race about it because, you know, they're brother and sister. Why? Of course they're going to get in a competitive race. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they have their, their own sort of cruise and they're on a, uh, they're fighting each other to be the first to discover their father's treasure. Um and that's sort of that's where we created the the characters who have come to be known in Sea of Thieves as the Sea Dogs. Um led by Lacidi and DeMarco Singh, who are the brother and sister. Um and you know, those two have gone on to be major characters in the um in the game, which you know, a lot of people who've played it. Know the characters, even if they've never read the comics that they you know originated from. We created them sort of whole cloth in the comics, as well as their crews. Um, some of whom have shown up, some of whom have not yet. Um, so it was it was really interesting because I you know wrote this whole thing and we created this, and my myself and my artist had a great time. And uh, Rare was really supportive of of basically everything we want to do that was possible within the constraints of the the game. Um, you know, including having you know, queer characters and uh, a variety of different types of characters when it comes to race and size and everything else, um, which was great. And then, uh, you know, then one day I was at, I think it was the first time I saw it, it was San Diego Comic-Con. Xbox had a big billboard up, which had uh, one of one of my characters who had become a regular sort of character in Sea of Thieves was on the billboard out there. And I was like, hey, I know her? <laughs> 40 feet tall out here that's very strange to me
0: so there it sounds like there was a lot of collaboration back and forth between you and your artists in the studio about the personalities and the designs of some of these characters that I'm guessing you're saying they showed up in the comic first and then were added to the game later
1: yeah um I you know my my goal was with the the leads that i wanted to have you know this this brother and sister who the brother is sort of a uh, a himbo <laughs> he's uh <laughs> you know wears you know a jacket with nothing under it half the time um you know he's he's very like a playboy he's out in the world doing wild stuff and is not not a particularly good pirate he's really just there for the fun whereas his his sister cedi is uh intense she's a very good pirate she's the you know the best there is um and she's on top of it and really resents that you know her brother is given sort of the same amount of respect based on you know them having the same father um because you know she's she's working much harder than he is um you know and they they ultimately have to sort of get over that but yeah they uh they started as our uh weird little comic characters and i wanted her to uh i didn't want a character who was like particularly a romantic heroine. I didn't want her to be, uh, you know, stereotypically pretty. I wanted her to be very piratey, um, you know, for her to have be the one that had the scars and the eye patch and everything else. And uh, Rare was very supportive of that. Um, so, you know, they bought into that wholesale and, and helped us create those characters and then adapted them into the the game as well as, as that was going on. So, yeah, it's was, it was very neat because we got to... Um, you know, make the sort of characters we wanted to see, and then they, you know, did end up in in the game with everybody else.
0: Now, did any of the quests uh, that you wrote for the the comics end up as gameplay quests in the game?
1: Um, not in the initial Sea of Thieves story uh, that we did, but the uh, we, we've done some origin stories of you know other characters that have appeared in the, the game and um some of their stuff has been important to various quests in the story. And then uh they recently had a a very important story uh that was a, a murder mystery because our our lead uh the brother character DeMarco uh was killed and it was a mystery as to who had done it. So uh the characters got to you know go on a quest to figure out what had happened to DeMarco and sort of, you know, the CD was in there along the way. So you get to hear from her as she was trying to to track down DeMarco's killer. And then the the series we've got coming out right now, which is called uh, Sea Dog's Search, is about her trying to uh, find DeMarco's lost soul. You know, people in the Sea of Thieves, whenever they're killed, are usually just immediately reborn. And DeMarco hasn't been. Uh, so she's, Sort of on a quest to figure out why and, and what's happened to his soul that he hasn't been, you know, brought back yet.
0: Oh, that one sounds like a a, a very intriguing quest.
1: Yeah, it's, it's lots of fun. The first issue that just came out, and I know is uh, is free through Comicsology. So you have to, you know, if you have an Amazon account, you can go on Comicsology and, and download it and check it out for free. Um, and that's that's been a lot of fun because in the game, a lot of time has passed since like the comics happen well before the game starts. Um, and then you encounter, you know, these characters later on at sort of a different time in their lives. Um, so it's been, I think about between five and 10 years, uh, since, you know, we, we saw the version of them that we see in the, uh, in the comics initially. So we got to age them up a little bit and, uh, Sort of adapt to them, see how they've how they've changed over the years, including one of the characters having uh, transitioned, which was uh, an interesting thing to get to do because it is now something that's possible in the, the Sea of Thieves to change the gender of your character at, uh, at some point. Then there, so uh, it was it was neat to get to come back in and adapt these these characters who we created and uh, you know age them up, give them new new stuff to do and new stories.
0: Have uh, you gotten any feedback from fans of the game who've gone on to read the comics or vice versa?
1: Oh yeah. We've gotten a lot of uh, really positive feedback from, from folks who are fans of the games who uh, love the comics. Uh, A lot of people have no idea they exist because, you know, it's a very different, whole different platform. You can't just be on the Xbox and click a button and end up in (laughs) inside the comic. Um, but yeah, I think when people discover them, they're usually very excited to check them out because we get to fill in some of the stories around the the characters that they've met and they get to know them a bit better and, and what the deal is. And uh, in some cases, I know they've had some uh, you know codes and giveaways involved with the comics so people can get extra gear and things like that for the game.
0: Oh, that sounds like a very interesting option that nobody's taken advantage of. You click on something in the game and it takes you to a motion comic that gives you more background on the story and you go back to the game and maybe there's a clue in the motion comic that helps you win something to do it. How come nobody's done that yet?
1: I don't know. It's uh it'd be an interesting way to integrate it. I think uh, you know, platforms like Comixology is, you know, on Amazon, so it would take Mm -hmm. a lot to get people from the game to to amazon to comiXology um, without them having to stop everything to sign into multiple things but I, I think there's definitely potential there
0: huh. weird so much media oh, yeah. so much so much so much corporate insistence on keeping it all fenced away from each other silliness <laughs> but uh when you when you when you uh when you talked about the description of the brother that for some reason put me in mind of those, I'm going to say maybe eight or 10 years ago, there were a couple of captain Morgan's ads with literally almost no dialogue. And captain Morgan was a, was a very self-assured swashbuckling kind of guy. Just he, he knew the lay of the land and the commercials were hilarious. Uh, And I'm like, you know, that was a genius ad, and they didn't keep up with the series. I have no idea why.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Advertising is a mystery to me. I'll, I'll admit it that. It is. I
0: mean, some of the funniest commercials just stop. I'm like, why? Come on, man. That was funny. I've remembered that. That brand is proud. Should be proud of that ad. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's talk about your own comics. Uh, you said the newest one is Dog Night, but uh, you also have the School for Extraterrestrial Girls, which to me sounds like, you know, sky high on maybe ketamine. I'm not sure. Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so it's about this uh, girl, uh, Tara, who uh, learns that she is a uh, an alien when she spontaneously combusts in the middle of class one day. Um, as, as we all do at some point in middle or high school. Um, and, you know, she sort of is, is captured by this this government agency and is given this option of either she can uh, be shipped back to the planet her people are originally from, where she's never been, knows nothing about, or she can uh, go to the school for extraterrestrial girls, which is sort of this hidden underground base where she can learn about the rest of, you know, her who her people are, but also the rest of, what other aliens are there learn how to control her abilities and you know learn how to be a good alien living on earth so obviously there's some uh some parallels in there with um different types of, of schools that the government has, has put you know different types of kids in and a little bit of uh immigration and things like that but also it's a it's a fun story about uh you know a, a girl's school with various hijinks involved because you know aliens and monsters and everything else
0: so where did where did that uh, that particular story come from, and how what did you have in mind for uh, for for Tara's I guess uh, journey, her adventure?
1: Um, I, I think it came from uh, my friend Jamie, who's the artist on it, and I had been wanting to do something together, and we were talking about sort of places where our stuff we enjoyed overlapped um and we came up with the idea of you know we we love sort of these uh boarding school adventure stories where there's always something strange happening there's always all these mysteries to unravel um but like this this idea of combining that with science fiction and putting little bits of of fantasy stuff in there too because you know tara's roommate um is a is a fairy and you know in in this version of of the story sort of there's a lot of crossover between what we would consider fantasy and science fiction um you know lots of different uh races from different places be it other dimensions or other worlds um so having that big like room for crossover and to do sort of whatever we wanted to do with uh different types of of not just sci-fi but myth you know landing on top of each other in this sort of awkward high school setting is is fun because I feel like science or like uh, high school always feels like life or death anyway uh, so you know making that sort of into this big uh, sci-fi landscape for all these uh, different types of characters to interact and uh, these conflicts of like being from another world or you know earth being invaded, living very much hand in hand with like, Somebody having a crush on their friend, and you know, those sort of uh, high school drama type things is always really appeals to me because all that stuff feels uh, very immediate in life or death to people going through it, even if maybe it's not actually on the scale of Earth being invaded by a malevolent force.
0: <laughs> the, whole, the whole setting of stories in. Boarding schools or orphanages somewhere where you've you've gathered a large group of kids, and the kids outnumber the adults, and there's no positive parental influence. I was like, wow, we've got some serious multi-century-long generational boarding school traumas, <laughs> and <laughs> folks are still working out.
1: Yeah. I think it also, you know, helps be an engine for the story in a lot of ways and not having the parents around to be like, Hey, what are you doing? No, hold on. Stop that. Um, you know, to, to get in the way, people don't have to go home at the, you know, end of a particular episode. They're, you know, sort of still stuck with all these people that they've been adventuring with. Even if, uh, even if things go good or bad, they're still sort of forced to be in, in close quarters and not, not necessarily have somebody who, uh, they can talk to who can deal with uh the the parental stuff you know
0: i thought it was funny cuz uh in in book 2 you've introduced the school for extraterrestrial boys and and i have to sit there and wonder i'm like are any of the teachers at either of these schools former students how long have these schools been around
1: uh yeah it's it's a little bit of a mystery how long they've been around the uh, the School for Extraterrestrial Girls is very sort of deliberately constructed in a bunker underground where nobody can find it, but they sort of end up wrecking that in the first book. Um, so they're they're forced to go to the, the School for Extraterrestrial Boys in the second book, which is um, much more of a weird black site that nobody understands. You know, it's a tropical island in the middle of the Arctic, and, uh, you know, they uh which which is those are some of my favorite settings for things is like uh, those early 1900s things where we're like yes but what is up there what is in this part of the world maybe maybe there is a mysterious island up here somewhere that nobody's found um you know sort of sticking it up there and having nobody really knowing how it got there or why it's there um but yeah you know, it's a good place to keep the the boys secluded um and yeah there's definitely there's a mix with the teachers of um, you know alien teachers as well as humanoid teachers it's uh, yeah you would definitely think that you know at least some of the the alien teachers were former students but then of course there's uh, you know people whose whose job or or who's are humans whose job it is to keep tabs on or, or teach aliens as well yeah
0: the uh, lost tropical paradise in the arctic or the antarctic ranks up there with the the prehistoric world deep inside uh, Earth's core. It's always one of those, yeah, there's no aliens involved in either of those situations at
1: all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that was Savage Land was always my favorite place that anything happened in the X-Men. It's like, oh yeah, there is a weird tropical land in, in Antarctica where dinosaurs still live and there's cavemen and stuff. So occasionally the X-Men just end up there. Even mm. though that doesn't have a lot to do with being mutants. It's just uh, you
0: know it's a just fun a, yeah. second location. So much hand waving going on there. Yep. <laughs> uh so so talk about the dog night, because that's really interesting with uh I'm I'm gonna say sentient dogs who who need a friend.
1: Uh yeah. So um it's about uh, Frankie, who's a non-binary middle schooler who's sort of dealing with, uh, you know, they've already come out, but they're sort of dealing with having lost a friend from coming out and sort of trying to find their place in the world. Um, and Frankie ends up uh, saving this this dog who's being uh, picked on by bullies and ends up knocking themselves out in the, the course of that getting knocked out. Uh, and they wake up, the, uh, the dog has brought them to this... Um, giant, uh, very Roman-looking dog house in a sort of void, um, and they they find out that uh, living in this place is a, a group called the Pothion, who are these uh, sort of super heroic dogs who uh, embody sort of the, the great values of dogs, whose whose job it is to work with humans to uh, to keep humans safe and to keep the world safe. Uh, so there's this ancient pact between humans and dogs where uh, dogs help, help keep humans safe from the, the forces of chaos and gremlins that they can't see. And in return, humans you know feed them and pet them, give them walks and things <laughs> like that. Um, so this, the Pothion uh, need a, a human to help them. Um, they're trying to fill sort of this void they've had uh, of this job called the Dog Knight Um, and the dog knight's job is to sort of be that link between humans and dogs, uh, and to help dogs in times of crisis to, you know, to protect the world from the forces of chaos. So Frankie gets recruited to potentially do this, uh, because they, they exhibit some of those dog values, um, you know, so they have to prove over the course of this story that they, um, that they meet all those criteria, that they embody all of those values that the dogs find important. Um, and they have to do this by going through a series of trials that the, uh, these Pothion super dogs put them through. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a fo- sort of a fun quest tale uh, that starts off this series and we're getting ready to do, we're actually working on the second book right now. So it's going to be a trilogy of, of these.
0: I, I have to ask, uh, are, are cats in the mix or are they chaotic neutral?
1: Um. <laughs> Cats are in the mix. They um, they they appear in the first book some, but they're going to be a lot more in the in the third book, which I've, I've written um, as well. So they're they are to some extent neutral, um, although the cats tend to be the sorts that like they look out for their their own interests, and then occasionally, if the world is in enough danger, like that's where they keep their stuff. So they're gonna like help make sure that it doesn't doesn't get destroyed or overrun but they're not particularly interested in like helping humans on a day-to-day basis
0: i had to ask just because it's the 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 cats are better versus dogs are better uh funny videos you you find online are just so adorable and so nuts
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, for me, it's just a difference of you know, figuring out what those things are that it feels like animals value and dogs uh, fall much more on the side of, you know, things like loyalty and justice and things like that. Whereas, uh, you know, cats, cats are much more, they value very different sorts of things. And yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that later in the series, but they're,
0: they're furry balls of chaos. Come on, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, what went into, I guess, the design and the backstory of of the dogs that uh, that that Frankie falls in with?
1: Um, so I think one of the big things was we wanted to make sure that it was a a group of dogs that was diverse enough that, like, if you just saw th- the shadows of of each of the dogs, you would know which one of them it was, right? So um, we didn't want people to have a lot of confusion when they were looking at the page as to which dog this was and uh, all that. So we wanted to make sure we got a a diverse group. So there's some big dogs, some small dogs, some medium-sized dogs, some very hairy dogs, um, things like that. Um, But I think also a lot of the the design was... um, which the designs were done by Brian Indigo, who's my artist on there, uh, and they wanted to really give the feeling of like you, you could see this dog and sort of feel their personality. So they're you know a little cartoony, but uh, they still feel like dogs. And then you know each one you can sort of uh, if you're with them for a little while, you can pretty easily tell what it is that you know they embody. So we have a, a bulldog whose name is just Dog uh because that's what his master called him so obviously that's his name uh and he uh his thing is stubbornness so you know, he is he is a bulldog in that respect um he is one of his powers that goes with that is he he cannot be moved if he does not want to move um so you know he is an immovable object so long as he decides that he doesn't want to go anywhere um and then you know there's like uh i think One of my favorites, the sort of dog that interacts the most directly with Frankie is the the platinum retriever, uh, because what's better than a golden retriever? Obviously, a (laughs) platinum (laughs) retriever, Um, you know, and and his thing is is sense of smell so he can find anything. Um, So it was was a lot of fun to sort of come up with them and and find stuff that that really made sense. Uh, I think the the funniest one, I think the one that people connect the most with is. uh, the Yorkshire Terror, uh, who is a, he's a Yorkie, a Yorkshire Terrier, but his his name is the Yorkshire Terror. His thing is justice, and he is basically a small yappy dog who thinks he's Batman.
0: <laughs> uh, that was going to be my next question to the, the, the personality traits of the breed of dog go into selecting which ones you'd use for this, because I, I literally, I, couldn't tell you how many times uh what is it the 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 scottish terrier from lady the tramp jock just mm-hmm. just just the way that they, they had his accent and and the yappiness just just tickled me as a kid you know so i was like is that the same thing going on here
1: oh yeah absolutely and i i, I love jock and i love uh, i can't remember his name but the hound um it's with him is always always trying to tell him stories about the good old days. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, that's very much the the kind of vibe we were trying to go for. And, um, you know, that the, I think it's important that the uh, breed plays in there somehow, either it be something that, you know, makes sense for that breed of dog and how they act or something that goes a little bit against type, um, you know, it's something, uh, something that's fun. To, to interact with, to give sort of these different characteristics too.
0: Nice. Well, you said that one is you're working on book two currently?
1: Uh, yep. Book one just came out in May and uh, book two is, um, you yeah, coming, coming right up and uh, hopefully next year.
0: Cool. Well, the, the, the comics are of course fun. And uh, I guess just, just fun stories where you're having fun because that's what comics should be, right? You're just they should oh, be, there should be an element of fun in there. Everything doesn't have to be all dark and broody all the time. Absolutely. But uh, so, so these, these are a lot of fun, but you you do enjoy entertainment of a darker nature as uh, the co-host of the progressively Horrified podcast. Talk about that for a little bit
1: uh yeah so progressively horrified sort of uh came out of one uh, a bunch of friends of mine who are all sort of horror fans um were uh you know kind of bored during the the pandemic and looking for for different ways to connect and do stuff together and uh, you know we all sort of realized we were we were fr- fans of horror stuff but so many of the sort of horror communities uh have sort of a a different feel um i don't want to say they're all particularly broey but uh you know some of them certainly are and some of them have much more of uh they they serve particular interests within the horror community a lot of which are are not always progressive or not always what we're interested in um i think horror tends to be one of those genres that uh, a lot of people overlook as far as like academics and and the sorts of interesting stories that they tell the progressive things that you can do in horror. So, uh, you know, we started progressively horrified as a way to talk about um, progressive politics in horror movies. So, I mean, we, we seek out a lot of movies that deal either particularly with uh, with queer folks with um, people of of different races with uh, disability Uh, with feminism things like that particularly find find those movies and and uh talk about the ways that they're interesting the things that they do that um you know might might surprise people or or be of interest to people who uh either want to search out more horror stuff and want to be part of that community or or people who are interested in those types of stories that might not necessarily have the stomach for a horror movie uh some of the horror movies we've watched are uh can be a real rough watch. so, like that was sort of why we started, and uh, you know, we we do everything from, um, you know, the the newer uh, stuff that is very particularly looking for um, those those sorts of notes in there, but also things that are maybe surprisingly feminist in some way, or um, you know, have found a following in the queer community despite uh, just not really being, not really having characters who are queer, but having things that connect with uh, queer audiences. Um, and then, you know, the ways in which we we deal with some of the uh, things that maybe are, are not progressive that aren't of uh, interest to us in And know like, from, you know, moving forward and, and wanting more movies like that, but maybe, you know, we can look at ways that we, uh, things that we can find from those movies, things that we can learn and, um, you know, Sometimes we just enjoy a, a good stupid scary movie too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a I am i am particularly a fan of uh, indie movies and indie indie sci fi indie horror. I I I take it on the chin looking at watching some of these movies, and unfortunately, some of them are a little. Uh, well, no, I'm not gonna sugar-coated, Some of them are very not good, and oh yeah, <laughs> it's 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 fun to find ones that are well done. They have a an interesting story, a unique story, or a unique take on a on a typical story, and the the different ways that some of the fans see some of these movies always fascinates me and i um, trying to think. There was a movie that came out a few years ago. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was directed by a woman who did, uh, what's her name? Elle Callahan. The first movie of hers that I had seen was called Head Count. And it was the first time I had seen a movie adaptation of an internet creepypasta that was well done. I'm like, oh my god, the the way she did the special effects to show the the weirdness going on was just enjoyable. And she did a movie a couple of years after that, which I can't remember the title of, where witchcraft and magic are literally part of the world, and the United States government has outlawed witchcraft and. So you have women who are trying to escape across the border into Mexico, otherwise they're caught and they're put into camps. And it was just uh, a fascinating take on a a twist of of the feminist, uh, just the feminine power, so to speak, being quashed, suppressed. Enslaved almost, and I was like, Whoa, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, I think. Um, uh, that one is called Witch Hunt. Is that right? Yeah, it, yep, it, that, that's it,
0: it, it, it. It's Witch something, and yep. you might be right, Witch Hunt, but uh, yeah, that so every now and then you have these little gems pop up, but you have to go through so much that is not gem like in quality. Oh
1: yeah. And I think that's, that's part of our thing too, is, you know, it it, it can be a service podcast. It's just like, you know, you might not want to watch all of these movies, but we can, yeah. we'll watch them and sort of uh, find the stuff that is good, find the stuff that uh, is worth watching. It, it definitely started as like myself and a couple of my friends, uh, they were both saying that they had never seen Jennifer's body, uh, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I was like, Oh, we have to, we have to watch Jennifer's body. We have to <laughs> I have to get you guys to watch us and we have to talk about it. Um and that's that's sort of how how it started off and you know we're we're coming up on 200 episodes pretty soon, sometime nice. this next year. So Nice.
0: So what has happened more, you introducing them to new horror or them finding stuff you hadn't heard of yet?
1: Um I honestly, I, I think it's a pretty even uh, match at this point. I think uh, we've really been benefited by uh, the advent of uh, Shutter, the horror movie service. that mm-hmm. um, has a lot of like, they collect a lot of really interesting indie horror stuff on there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a place that I've, bumped into a lot of things that have been my you know my favorites over the last few years and they you know curate stuff I think particularly towards like this section is all horror movies directed by women this section is all horror movies you know with with black lead characters or this section is all queer horror movies so Mm -hmm. it's uh really helped us I think to find new stuff (laughs) you know none of us necessarily have to have discovered already so we can you know bring that to the table and and check it all out together um i think just i watch a lot of scary movies in october usually like one a day or or more i think i finished up with just 32 this year but like my top three favorites from this year were all ones that i i found on shutter
0: nice yeah i i i subscribed to amc plus just so i could get uh Shudder and ifc midnight or ifc rather because ifc midnight has come out with some some good uh horror or you know dark thriller stories over the years and tubi is a good source of old horror or obscure horror
1: yeah Tubi is really uh it's really a craft shoot you don't know what you're gonna get on tubi (laughs) you can find some real some real treasures in there. I watched a werewolf movie called uh, Bloodthirsty there during October, which I really enjoyed. But there's also a lot of like really B-horror movies. And it, it's hard to distinguish necessarily when you're looking at 2B, two, two which one is which. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how how would you classify yourself as a horror fan? Because like my, my niches, I prefer the psychological horror. I prefer the monster movies not so much a fan of body horror or, you know, mindless slasher movies, you know, the one where you've got somebody crazy. I'm like, you know what? Shotgun to the face. <laughs> That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. um I, I've i watched a lot of slashers. Slashers aren't necessarily my favorite um, because they, they do tend to get a bit formulaic and even the best series usually have a lot of stinkers somewhere in the mix um i i was telling somebody recently i was very surprised to like get through the child's play series and find like that's probably the most one of the most consistent of like slasher movie series um because it it tends to stay in about the same level it's at the whole time um rather than it's like nightmare on elm street which has huge dips some very bad Mm -hmm. uh ones in the middle but then some of my favorites and you know the beginning or the end or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I like something that has, uh you know, a bit of, uh, that is a bit like legitimately scary, um, that has like startle moments, but also, you know, you come away from it thinking about it. I think some of my favorite, some of the horror movies I talk most about at least are ones that after watching it I've been like um oh, never watching that movie again it was great. Um, <laughs> you know I, I, the Duke is one of my favorites. Um and that was really one that like after watching it the first time I was like oh that was traumatic I, I don't know if I can watch that movie again.
0: I yep there's a, there's a couple like that for me too. Unfortunately <laughs> Silence of the Lambs just going to say.
1: Oh yeah Silence of the Lambs is uh It's intense. Um, I think another one, one that definitely I watched it the first time and I swore I was never going to watch it again. And then I ended up doing it for the podcast again was uh, Hereditary, Mm -hmm. um, which is is one that really bothers me because I mean, as as somebody with, you know, mental health issues in my family and, and like that's, I'm much more worried about losing control of myself or not being able to like know what's going on, what's real and what's not, that I am of like Wolfman. men <laughs> those are ones that get to you, or at least to mm. me.
0: no But it sounds like you're having fun with the podcast and you're keeping it going, which is which is always a lot of fun. Objective and slightly academic examinations of horror films is always, always a good thing in my yeah.
1: book. We try to have fun too, you know and <laughs> We, we laugh at a lot of uh, this stuff quite a bit. I mean, we just talked about the Witches of Eastwick last week, which is has a lot of interesting things to say, but it is also a unrelentingly horny movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
1: singularly horny. Uh, I
0: I often wonder, like, I look back at movies that were made in the seventies and eighties, and I'm like, would those even get to be made today at all?
1: I, I think as as somebody who is like born in the 80s and, and raised you know through the the 90s and 2000s i look i watch occasionally especially for this podcast horror movies from the 70s and i'm like they used to get away with a lot of stuff back then like you know it was a a lot um a lot weirder and darker and queerer than uh you know people would have admitted i think when i was a uh, when I was younger, you know, there's a real sort of crackdown on a lot of those particular types of films in the 80s and, you know, well, things like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th really uh, continued to thrive, but like you know, there's much more I don't know still very violent, but not very subversive stuff Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah oh oh yes the 80s we're 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 still getting there uh so jeremy tell tell folks where they can find you and uh the the projects you're working on
1: yeah so uh progressively horrified is on uh any podcast service you want to listen to um you can just look it up by by that name uh it's on we're on Twitter at Prague horror pod so you can follow along with you know what we're talking about right now uh, as long as that that website continues to last mm-hmm. um, and then uh, for me my uh, my website is JeremyWhitley.com where you can find uh, a lot of the projects I've worked on you can you know track things down I've got links to where you can buy stuff um, in addition to uh, you know I'm, I'm on Twitter and uh, instagram at jrome58 and then on you know blue sky and tumblr is just jeremy whitley um so you can follow me in any of those places and and see what i'm up to and uh yeah then uh it's november now so this month the uh, school for extraterrestrial girls book two will be out uh dog night book one is already out and i've got a. Uh, Various other things, including Sea of Thieves and a My Little Pony miniseries, that are in the process of coming out as we speak.
0: Excellent. We'll have links to to those where people can can find you, uh, Jeremy. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: And we'll be back with more slices sci-fi right after this. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists.
1: I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin, and then, seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week,
0: one story told well.
1: She should have never come back to this god's forsaken junk heap of a space station, But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long.
0: From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, this is Barbara Crampton, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. Ooh, scary. And we have links to Jeremy's website as well as to the Progressively Horrified podcast, which you can check out for yourself on your favorite podcasting platform, and, uh, yeah, some of the discussions they have are, are are quite fun, lively. Um, I am going to check out the School for Extraterrestrial Girls because that seems more in line with the story I'd want to see, even though he made... Sea of Thieves sound a lot more interesting. I believe swashbuckling pirate stories have a very large fan base. And they will be entertained <laughs> by the, the, the comics adaptations that are out there for, for the games. And the fact that he gets to expand on elements that are in the games is kind of cool. So how about you? What sort of uh, comic stories are you in search of? Is Sea of Thieves or The Dog Knight or School for Extraterrestrial Girls or Princeless something that uh, might be in your wheelhouse? Let me know. Call in. Leave a voicemail. The number is 602-635-6976 or... Shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci You can also ask questions on Twitter at Slice of fi or on Blue Sky at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also come by the website, sliceofsci and leave a comment or ask a question in the discussion section for this episode. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or following on Podchaser, leave us a review. Let folks know you're enjoying the show, and maybe they should check it out for themselves. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently helping to support Slice of Sci-Fi and all of the podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. Your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal really do help keep things going here. The you help keep all of the stuff online and for that I am grateful to your support. And it it means a lot that you're helping these podcasts keep going. If you'd like to add your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash sci fi where you can pick a tier, any tier, but you'd be eligible for perks. Every month I pick a email address out of the hat, or rather a random generator robot <laughs> picks a, an email address out of that and that person can choose from books DVDs Blu-rays 4Ks materials I get for review here or Writers After Dark and that there's the, I I get enough that I don't really have the space to keep it all so Passing on those goodies to supporters and fans of the show is uh, important to me. Uh, you know, these things need new homes and and you folks who listen to the show are, I'm hoping, the perfect audience. And if you'd like to support, the show but not commit to a monthly pledge the link you can use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer and that'll do it for this episode thank you all for listening we'll be back with more slice of sci-fi next time take care